Over the past couple of weeks, I've been meeting with clients, and there's a common theme that keeps coming up, and that's the theme of worthiness, or what we would call many times is imposter syndrome. Most of us experience feelings of doubt and unworthiness at some point in our lives, but when our accomplishments are a result of our own knowledge, hard work, and preparation, and we still feel inadequate or unworthy, we're probably suffering from imposter syndrome. And in this episode, I just have a heart-to-heart conversation with a great friend of mine, Sean Doc Boyd, all around the um, imposter syndrome, as well as we give you nine tips that are going to help you to overcome the imposter syndrome and starve your self-doubt. You don't want to miss this episode. This is going to be really good. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Brand with Marquis Brayton. And this is a special episode of Maximize Your Brand with Marquis Brayton. We are live sharing this episode, and I have a special guest, someone who I recently met, and we're becoming friends. But we're going to talk about this topic of the imposter syndrome because I've been meeting with clients over the week. And one of the things that keeps coming up in my meeting with my clients is this whole idea of worthiness or this whole idea of being found out. And what I want to do is address the imposter syndrome. I want to look the imposter syndrome in the face and let it know it has no place. And so tonight's topic is how to overcome the imposter syndrome and starve your self-doubt. For those who are listening to the podcast for the very first time or those who are watching me tonight for the podcast for the very first time, I am Markeith Brayton, your personal brand strategist and master digital marketing coach, all about helping corporate executives and professional service providers to maximize and monetize their brand online so they can create a location-free business around their skills, their expertise, and their passion. And so I'm so excited to be joining you this evening for this special conversation with Sean Doc as we prepare to kind of have you know, an in-depth conversation about the imposter syndrome, because I know that many people suffer from it. Many people battle with it. And I am excited to just face it head for first or face first and share. So let's go ahead and bring in my guest, Sean Doc Boyd. What's up, brother? How are you doing today? Aloha, as we say in my neck of the woods. And uh, yeah, it's good to be here, man. I appreciate it. 
I appreciate you joining me kind of at the last minute. But, hey, you know, sometimes you just always have to be ready. And you came in with Aloha. So go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Let them know uh, who you are and how you show up in the world and how you provide value. Um, well, my, my, one of my friends a long time ago gave me this weird nickname. And she said I was a Swiss Army nerd because... I do computer stuff. Like I used to be heavily into web development, but web development turned into sort of like graphic design. Graphic design turned into making things like as a maker. So I do CNC and laser fabrication. Um, but I have always had a big tie to media. I have a lot of, you know, entertainers in my family and whatnot. So when the live streaming thing kind of even first came into fray, like one of my first jobs in tech I was a beta tester for what's known as a radius rocket. And that was when a video was 320 by 240. And I know that number doesn't mean a lot to people, but most of you guys are watching TV or watching this program on a 1920 by 1080 high definition screen. So if you imagine your entire TV, the original internet video was like half the size of a Nokia cell phone window when we had the old Nokia's back in the day, the video was just like a tiny little speck of that. So I've been in computer video for a long time and that led me to where I am with live streaming. And I basically live stream to help other people get the stream on. So for entrepreneurs, small business people, or just individuals that want to share their knowledge or their hobby or you know their, their commitment to whatever, I teach them how to do it as a live production just because I'm a video editor, but editing sucks. <laughs> so just do it live and save yourself the trouble. Cool. So, and you also have a little, uh, another business as well. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So in my, uh, in my fabrication business, like I take, again, small businesses that are trying to find their identity. And instead of just like slapping your logo on something plastic, like I like to create it out of wood. Cause number one, wood's indelible. It's not going nowhere. Wood shows a sign of strength, longevity, uh, pride, like a lot is deep rooted. Like it's so much meaning to doing stuff in wood. So wood is my primary medium but I like to take people's logos and stuff and burn it into a piece of wood and, you know, share that with them so they can look at something with a little heft, right? If you walk into the bank, the bank president has the bank logo burned into a piece of wood somewhere just before he tells you he's not going to loan you any money. So you can just look at him and be like, I got one of those two player. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> so I, I like, I like creating stuff out of woods. Just the handsy stuff keeps me busy. It gives me a chance to process and overcome my battles while I'm doing handwork, you know? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, once again, I appreciate you joining me for this conversation. And we are live, those of you who are watching us live on my Facebook page and those who will be listening to the podcast, we thank you for joining and listening. But tonight, topic is imposter syndrome. And I kind of did a little research before the live. And what is imposter syndrome? Uh, according to mindful.org, it says that imposter syndrome was first studied by a psychologist named Pauline Rose Clance in 1978. And basically what she says is that it isn't a disease or abnormality and it is not tied to depression, anxiety, or self-esteem. It is a feeling and experience, a belief that can be hard to shake. But basically the syndrome has a lot to do with, you know, people who have a desire to really want to provide value to people. However, 
when they step out to provide that value, they ask themselves the questions in layman's terms, who am I to provide that value? Why would people listen to me? You know, why would people want to be coached or to be led by me? And so talk a little bit about, you know, what your thoughts are around imposter syndrome. This goes deep for me. (laughs) And it's kind of funny. It goes very deep for me. Okay, so here's a just a prime example. You introduced me to the world of Sean Doc Boyd. That's because Facebook made me do that. Most of the people around me, they know me as Doc Rock. And they know me as this entertainer dude in Hawaii that ran nightclubs and, you know, DJed all these massive events and opened up as a rapper and a performer for almost every hip hop artist of the 80s and 90s. And I mean, almost every one of them. Um, And, you know, doing radio for many, many years and stuff like that. So everyone knows me as Doc Rock. Literally a year, year and a half ago, Facebook made me change my name. They said, we're changing our policy and you have to use your real name. So I had to put Sean Boyd in there. But to to connect the dot, the reason why Doc Rock ever existed is because I believe the fallacy that was taught to me by people older than me that I was somehow shy and introverted. And I fell for that and I believed that. And what I want to tell everyone who thinks that about themselves, someone else told you that. There is no such birth trait as shy. It doesn't exist. It is a construct that's invented by other people to keep you quiet (laughs) for the most part. So um, when you go back and dig deep into your memory, it might require meditation. It might require ayahuasca. But you got to get in there and find out who's the first person that told you that you were shy. Who's the first person that told you that you are to be seen and not heard? That's the beginning of it. When you're a child and you're trying to be a pilot and the first person tells you black people can't become pilots, put that one away, son. Let that sink in, bro. Like it's different for us because we get it more. And by we, I mean all marginalized communities get imposter syndrome much, much earlier, much heavier and much deeper. But trust me, every human being starts imposter syndrome from the time you're about three or four. Because when you're three or four, you can't believe that your parents once were as small as you are. Yeah. You you can't believe your parents didn't know how to drive or didn't have a job or always can speak in those long sentences while yours that you try to formulate, you know, doesn't really come out or can go to the bathroom by themselves or all these other stuff. So when you're a little kid and you're marveling at the adults around you, that is your very first, first taste of imposter syndrome. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Pauline says that people who are highly skilled or accomplished tend to think others are just as skilled. She says that this is a spiral into feelings that they don't deserve accolades and opportunities other, other, of, over other people. Yes. You know, and I, is, I like to. That is coined as a phrase known as pluralistic ignorance. Yes. Pluralistic ignorance. Exactly what she says. And, you know, I liken it to sometimes really a false humility, too. Yeah. You know when it really, really, really warmed me up? (laughs) When I went to Japan. Because in Japan, um, in the time that I lived there, you're taught that the nail that stands up gets hammered down. Mm -hmm. Right? So you're supposed to, like, be homogenous and vibe with the crew. Like, you're not supposed to try to be an outlier. So... There's a constant humility 
that when someone comes up to you, like, you know, we're, you, I play soccer, you know, so you score a goal and everybody comes to you, oh, my God, I can't believe what a great goal, like, what a great shot. And your response in Japan is supposed to be, oh, you know, I could have done better, blah, blah, blah. Like, you have to downplay it. Right. And so in the short time, the year that I was there, I came back and I brought that. And there's a difference between humility and self-doubt. You know, but they're super tight, like they're close together. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. not much different than, say, a, uh, a, uh, you know, you know, how GM will make two cars that's exactly the same, but they name them different. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between humility and self doubt. It's that close. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, because I'm all about, you know, giving some level of personal experience and story. You know, in what way has imposter syndrome challenged you uh, over the years, whether it be in business or whether it be in your career, you know, how have you been challenged with it and how have you overcome it? That was again, kind of deep. And I don't think I really realized it on, this is crazy. Like I didn't really realize it till this year after the the George Floyd incident. And Mm -hmm. we started really, really talking about what's been the things that you know we are held back because of you know and for a long time i was that dude and i i I, i'm not going to hit myself for it because i got brainwashed a little bit by other people but i was that dude like don't be a victim ain't nobody holding you back but you do it yourself blah 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 because i would fight hard and i would work my way around it but i also did the fake it till you make it thing so far that it becomes a point where you forget that you're faking and you already made it. You know what I mean? So fake it till you make it is kind of dangerous. Like there, it's good, it's good, but you got to know what you're doing with it, right? It's like uh, hot sauce. A couple of dashes is one thing. A whole lot of it is just stupid. <laughs> At some point, you no longer can taste the chicken, right? You only taste, I'll just say that too because I know you don't like spicy. <laughs> But and there is a definite point where your hot sauce is so hot, you are not tasting chicken. You're just tasting 85 million Scoville, you know, mouth burners. So in that in that instance where I had to tell myself in order to be the best me, I had to be Doc Rock, the, the entertainer and not Sean Boyd, this random black dude from the East Coast. Like, that's part of it. You know, uh, and so that that stuck with me a lot. And I remember because as a person of color in tech, we always had to be the best. Because you get compared to everybody else who like somebody would just look at this person and be like, oh, he went to Stanford. They must know what they're doing. And right. it's like he went to University of Hawaii. What the heck do you know about tech? But yet I'm the best technician in the room. The Stanford dude didn't know what the heck he was doing. But in, in, in Cupertino, Stanford has like, you know, chess like Dwayne Johnson because Mm -hmm. it's Cupertino. It's the, it's like you're the tech capital and that's the tech college. And these guys are supposed to be the best. So like any female or person of color or LGBTQ plus person that came to work in our industry in tech, like they always had to do extra just to even be considered in the same conversation. And then so while you stand there and, and beat your chest and prove your merit, you go home 
and weep softly in the corner because you keep thinking that you're not good enough. You know what I mean? Even though you just blew past, you know, everywhere. I set company record in, in Apple for uh, selling uh, extended warranty plans, you know, what we call Apple Care. You guys all bought it. But like I, I set a record, like I sold more warranty plans in a week than my entire region has sold in a year prior to me coming to the job. Like the regional manager came down and was like, this dude must be cheating. What the heck is he doing? But see, I had just come from CompUSA. And CompUSA, if you didn't sell warranties, because that's all they made money on, you you basically get beat. But at Apple, they're the non-pushy, you know? Hey, you want it? Yes, no? Okay, cool. So the lady asked me, like, how do you manage to sell so many warranties? I'm like, I asked because I was trained from CompUSA. You have to ask. You know, most people didn't ask because they would assume the other person doesn't have the money. So they don't bother to ask or I don't want to seem pushy or I'm not good enough to recommend the program because I don't understand the program fully. And like you're actually hurting that person should something go wrong with their computer in their third year, which would have been covered for free. And now you got to tell them it's a nine hundred dollar repair, you know. So I, I came from it from a different standpoint. And again, it's this concept of. Like I had to be the best. And so you start putting on airs and and honestly, until other people started having the conversations around what it felt like to be systemically oppressed, even though you're winning that oppression, like how much that actually weighs on your soul and weighs on your persona or like how much I've played up being a half breed because the other side is not black. Right. Like, yo, that's whack. And it took me over 50 years to figure that mess out. Mm. It's deep, bro. Like when you brought it up, like I I wanted to speak on it because I have been addressing this demon in the last couple of months more than ever before. And I think I've always just let it ride with me like some dude wasting, you know, wasting a seat in the car, but wasn't chipping in gas money. We all got that cousin. Yeah. You know what I mean? So my imposter syndrome this whole time like 35, 40 years with some dude riding in my whip, not chipping in on gas mm. and being yeah. in the way. Yeah, I think with me, I, I've dealt with it in different ways. You know, when I first started the business, I I definitely was feeling like I wasn't enough. And let me pause for a second and say, those of you who are joining live via Facebook, we're not ignoring you, but this is a live podcast interview. We will get to any comments towards the end of the interview, but definitely thank you for popping in and joining us uh, tonight. But one of the things that was very challenging for me at the beginning was, you know, the feeling of not being enough. And so you always were feeling like, I needed to get that next certificate or that next degree or, you know, I needed to have this title or that professional uh, title as a speaker or as a coach. And, you know, I had to overcome that. But I would say the most recent imposter syndrome thing that I had to overcome was when I needed to change my pricing. When I needed to change my pricing from not so expensive to a premium model pricing. You know, who's going to pay me five grand to coach them on how to leverage their personal brand and on how to uh, really up-level their digital marketing so that they can attract clients? 
difference. You know, who's going to pay me 20 grand to do a done for you service where we take them from vision to manifestation? So I had to battle this whole idea that I'm going to be figured out. <laughs> you so know, as soon so as I get that ready. first client who pays me, you know, $5,000, $15,000, they're going to figure out that I'm just, uh, you know, as a, I'm, I'm, I'm a novice like them. When in all actuality, I knew what I was doing. When in all actuality, I, I was enough. When in all actuality... I had the ability and I was a step or two ahead of the people who were hiring me to do the service. And so the, the best way that I knew how to overcome the imposter syndrome was to step outside of the comfort zone and actually present the offer over and over and over again. And the more I presented the offer, and the more somebody did pay me what I didn't think they would pay me, the more I became more confident in knowing that I know what I'm doing. And you know what's so funny about that is how I figured that out was I had a client that I could just tell this person about to be some drama. And I kind of didn't want to do the work. Yeah. But I said, all right, I'm just going to double my price. And just when they asked me for the quote, I gave them a ridiculous quote, hoping that they would go away. And they were like, oh, yeah, I'll do definitely. That's all. And I was like, we mean, that's all. <laughs> They're like, oh, no, I thought it would be more because you came highly recommended. And I was like, wait, what? I was like, recommended by who? I, was like, I talked mm -hmm. to like five, six, seven people first. And they was all like, oh, you the dude to go to. So right. I really don't want nobody else to do it. I'm surprised you coming in that cheap. And then I was like kicking and screaming yeah. i was like yo i doubled the price on this job i'm kicking and screaming trying to get rid of them and then literally became one of the best customers you know and now and then what's funny about that as well is like this comes up a lot for photographer cats right uh one of my best friends he's a fantastic photographer and he knows his gear he knows his stuff he's in there but he keeps doing work for free and I'm like, bruh, you got like on your shoulder right now, you got about 10 grand worth of kit. Why are you doing this for free? Oh, they're not going to pay me. And I'm like, the difference between those idiots that take really, really horrible pictures and make a lot of money and the idiots that take really good pictures and don't make any money is the other ones had the gall, the confidence, whatever you want to call it, to actually ask for a price. Actually ask for a price. And, you know, even with me now, um, people call me often to, you know, ask about my services and, and I still kind of have some hesitation to give them a price. Um, sometimes because you, you don't want to hear, you know, Objections. the word no or the objection, but I, you know, I had to learn how to understand that everybody's not my client. Absolutely. Everybody's if your client not... is everybody, then your client is nobody. Right. So you know how you handle that, though? When someone comes up to you, first of all, um, in the back of my head, I now say, I don't need to justify my price to anybody. Right. Either you pay that or you don't, right? But I don't say that. But that's what I say now. I take offense to it when people be like, oh, that's expensive, you know? But then I also try to explain to them, 
value propositions. So yeah. I, I, I try to give them value propositions. But in those value propositions, I try to take my personal self-worth out of the value proposition. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, using uh, coaching is different because in a sense, all of it is in your head, right? But at the same token, you you could say, okay, well, in doing this, I have a myriad selection of clients who currently pay that rate. And even taking on your, you know, situation, which I am more than happy to do, I am now using up a resource, the only unrefillable. That's not the right word, but you guys know what to do with that. Sorry, I I speak bubbles. (laughs) The only non-replenishable resource in the planet is really time. Okay. And when I was able to wrap my head around that, like my my adopted dad, he's a wise old career dude. He kind of squared me up and he was like, why do you spend five hours on the weekend washing your car? And I'm like, you adopted a black kid, dude. This joint got a floss. Like it must be sparkling. And he was like, no, take it around the corner and give it to the detail person and pay them their 40 bucks and bring your butt back over here and do what you normally do. And I was like, I want to pay that dude $40 to do something I could do myself. And he's like, when you're in the store and you're selling things, you're going to probably sell three, $4,000 worth of equipment. So your, your, your uh, income off of that is going to be like two, three, $400. So why are you sitting here wasting five hours tweaking out, washing your car, toothbrush, detail, all that dumb stuff I used to do when you can just pay somebody 40 bucks and then spend that three hours selling where you're going to make way more than that 40 bucks. And it doesn't dawn on people. And like here, people will go to Costco and sit in line for like an hour to fill up their tank. Okay. The biggest car is a 20 gallon tank. The price difference between Costco and the regular gas station is 30 cents. So after you spend an hour, your maximum return on that investment is six bones on a, a lead sled Cadillac Eldorado. Most people is driving something more reasonable with that 10, 15 gallon tank. So your maximum recuperation of that sticker price that's got you all twisted is $3, maybe $4. You just spend an hour in line at Costco to save 30 cents a gallon of gas because it looked good, but you just wasted all that time. The average person, 72 hours a week spent on personal time, laundry, clothes, like all of that stuff. And some people, depending on what you do, if that's not a calm yourself down or think by yourself or plan out your week kind of thing, why you do the laundry or do whatever, it's probably better for you to put it in a bag and take it down to the laundromat and let them do it for you for $6 a pound. Because you could put that time into doing something else. Well, I will stop for a moment and acknowledge this comment from Alicia Way. I put it up on the screen here. He says that I was blessed enough to have a client who wouldn't allow me to pitch him or a low offer. And he paid me five times what I was going to propose to him. That got me over imposter syndrome instantly. Yeah, that happened to me, too. I didn't even think about that. I'm so glad you remember. But that's basically it. I had a client put me straight. He was like, bro, I could take advantage of you, but I'm not going to. This is what you're worth. You need to learn your worth. And this is what I'm going to pay you. And I, I felt like I robbed him at first. But Elysio's dead right, you know. That helps a lot, too. The yeah. first time you can get it. Hopefully, from listening to Marquis, you don't have to go through that. 
But yeah, that happened. Yeah. That, that was an eye opener. Well, I want to spend some time uh, before we end uh, this podcast episode to talk about some tips on coping or dealing with imposter syndrome. And so we'll talk a briefly a little about a little bit about some of these tips just to help because we want to make sure we're providing value and not just sharing uh, stories and different things like that. And so the first tip is to know the signs of yep. imposter syndrome, you know, know uh, what it feels like. Everyone goes through it. Right. Everyone. And it's weird because you wouldn't think that the one that blew me away when I was first studying this, because, you know, somebody had mentioned it to me in passing a few years back. And then I started looking into it and I kind of forgot about it again up until, you know, it recently came back this year as we were processing what it what areas were you actually systemically oppressed and not even know it or you just didn't realize that's what was popping. And one of the things that came up, Maya Angelou was famously a person who suffered from imposter syndrome, 11 books, like laureate prizes, one of the gems of the 20th century in the United States. She never thought that her stuff was good enough. Albert Einstein, bruh, my, my idol in chief, Albert Einstein called himself, uh, what was it? The unfortunate swindler or something mm. of that nature. Like he himself suffered through imposter syndrome. I'm yeah. like, Albert Einstein, are you crazy? <laughs> so trust me, you're not alone, Pam. Just, just, hey. I'm glad you said that because tip number two is to know that you're not alone. You're, you're not alone in experiencing or feeling the imposter syndrome. We just shared our own personal stories on how it has impacted and challenged us, but we also shared how we've overcome it. And so tip number two is just to know that you're not alone. Tip number three is distinguish humility from fear. Yeah. Yeah. Distinguish humility from fear. And here's uh, what it's saying, that there's taking humility in your hard work and accomplishment, and then there's feeling overcome with fear because of them. Sometimes simply being good at something can cause us to discount the value after spending a lot of time fine-tuning your ability, isn't it sort of a point for your skill to look and feel natural? And so I tell people, because a lot of people always talk about my level of confidence, and I, and I always share with them that I had always had this confidence. But what I had to believe and to understand was is that I'm daily perfecting what it is that I know that I do well, speaking teaching, you know, now live streaming. And so I can be confident in knowing that I know what I'm doing and I don't have to shrink just to make somebody else feel comfortable just because I know that I'm confident in what I'm doing. You know, it's not arrogance. It's not me being bougie. It's not me being thinking that I'm better than anybody, but I'm standing in the confidence and the authority of knowing that if you hire Markeith, it's going to be done in excellence it's going to be done with paying attention to detail. It's going to be done in a way that, hey, I'm going to be honest and truthful if I can or cannot do it. But I'm going to be honest and truthful and letting you know that I'm the man right for the job, too. Hollaback. Some of the best situations is where you say, you know what? I have no idea how to do this. 
but I know that I'm a problem solver and I know that I can dig it and I will do my best to figure it out. If you still want to do with that, I'm down to try. If not, hey, I will help you find somebody that can do it. But I have enough confidence in myself and the way that I teach, and the way that I learn, that I would try to do it anyway. And a lot of clients are like, yeah, I don't want nobody else to even do it. Even people that say they know what they're doing, I still rather you do it because you're learning it and doing it is going to come out better. That's and right. again, um, you know, we were always taught in the uh, in the army that fear is two things: forget everything and run, or face everything and rise. This is one of the two. But of course, the one that I most would tell people is. It's, you know, uh, basically false evidence appearing real. That's like it. all of the stuff that somebody else told you. Like the best thing I ever learned in my life, it, it was when I was in the military. And uh, we, we do NLP training in the military so that you can learn how to get secrets out of captivity people. That's what it is. But um, one of my mentors in the live streaming game is Stephanie Lou. She's also an NLP practitioner. And we have a statement in NLP speak. It's called limiting beliefs. So when your mind... That little inner marquee starts telling you, hey, you can't do that. You just look at it in the favor. Limiting belief and just let it go. Like I used to do the rubber band trick when I would catch myself with limiting beliefs. I would pop myself. I don't really do it that much anymore because I can catch myself in the middle of having that internal dialogue. I was like, nope, limiting belief. Let's do this. You know, yeah. or my lighting ain't good enough. Nope, limiting belief. My camera's not good enough. Nope, limiting belief. My iMac not good enough. Nope, limiting belief. You just got to go in and do it. And I can't sit there and tell people that you can start to stream game with one of these while I'm sitting there complaining about my lighting and my background or my purple lights between my two bookshelves behind me. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> tip, look, tip number four, let go of your inner perfectionist. Oh, that's the worst, bro. Perfectionism is the heaviest backpack you will ever carry. It is just is. And I'm a Virgo, so that was tough for me, son. That is a hard one for me. Yeah. It says that many people who suffer from imposter syndrome are high achievers. People who set extremely high standards for themselves and are committed to doing their best and being the best. But perfectionism only feeds into your imposter syndrome. When you feel like a fraud, it's usually because you're comparing yourself to some perfect outcome that's either impossible or unrealistic. You watch my streams, right? I'm always telling everybody, do not try. You're not Gary V, son, you, right? You got to compare yourself to yourself. Do yeah. not compare your start to someone's middle or don't compare your middle to someone's end. And that's that pluralistic ignorance. That's exactly where she was talking about. Ms. Rosecrans was speaking on when she was on that. You cannot compare like... You know, I'm out here balling on the weekend. I'm not going to compare myself to LeBron James. Like, yeah. I wouldn't want to beat LeBron James. But I compare himself. I, I'll give you a quote. Perfectionism is an effective but crippling defense against the shame we feel when our vulnerability is revealed. Mm. Wow. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. Let, let that marinate. Yeah. <laughs> Tip number five, be kind to yourself. Take the pressure off yourself and stop trying to be the expert on day one. Stop trying to be the expert on day one. You know, I was talking to a client today and I said there are different levels to expertise. You could be the person who takes people along the journey with you. You may just simply be a step ahead 
but you're taking them along the journey with you. Some people are individuals who are the masters, and so they can teach you what actually does work because they've been there, done that, and have achieved the goal. But you have to depend on what level you're on as it pertains to your expertise. But from day one, don't put all that pressure on yourself. Just let people be honest with yourself and be honest with people and say, I'm not sure what the end result is going to be, but hey, let's go along this journey together. Yep. Like like if I told somebody we were going to do a podcast and they're like, oh, can you teach me how to do whatever? I'm like, bro, I'm in the same spot you are. Right. I want to be Joe Rogan, but I'm in the same spot you are. So if you're willing to ride with me, mm-hmm. like, yo, I'll tell you stuff as soon as I learn it because that's how I learn. If you taught me something right now, I immediately try to tell three people. You guys, every time I learn something, I hit up the group. Yo, Marquise, Alicio, Marshall, like, check out what I just figured out. And then y'all be like, what? And then Alicio will be like, yo, dog, look what I just figured out. And we'd be all like, what? So by teaching three people immediately what you just learned, you will let it stick to you much better, right? I believe that wholeheartedly. I was taught that, you know, eons ago. So I do what you say. I have people like, oh, he's a streaming expert. Well, I was like, no, man, I just want people to come with me with the ride. And if you, you know, follow my lead, we're going to hit crash together. But it's so much easier to flip the car back over when there's eight of us <laughs> than if there's one of us. Right. So we're going to do this together. You know, we're going to get money. We're going to get dirty. We're going to mess up a lot. We're going to embarrass ourselves. We're going to laugh at each other. But come with me. Don't right. come looking at me from the back, right? I don't need y'all looking at my butt. It's getting old, saggy, and wrinkly. I need y'all next to me. So right. just come with me. That's a better look, you know? When I was 21 and I had the, you know, butt flex, I'd have been cool. But no, right now I need you next to me just in case I fall. That's good. That's good. Three more. Tip number six, track and measure your success. I think it's good to track and measure your wins, right? So that you can know that you know, when that imposter syndrome tries to come up and rear its head, remind yourself, I had a win here. I had a win here. I know exactly who I am and what I'm doing. Okay, I, I fell or made a mistake here, but this is what I learned from that to be better. So we got to track and measure our success so that we know where we start. It says, when you feel like an imposter, one of the hardest things to grasp is how much of a role you have in your own success. You might default yeah. them to luck or to others' hard work when, in fact, your own work, knowledge, and preparation had a lot to do with it. You put in the time. You put in the work. Get you, bro. You know, I, I just that conversation came up today in the DJ's live streaming thing because my partner said, oh, well, you're just lucky because Ecam hooked you up and gave mm. you the inside beta before everybody else and blah, blah, blah. And at first, I said, yeah. And then, about two seconds later, I was like, hold on, no, 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 stop. You be quiet. Hold up. No, nah, son. I earned this. Like, I almost let my partner, and he wouldn't mean from a mean situation. Right. He's saying the same stuff any of your boys on the block would have said, oh, you got lucky, dog. Like, she just happened to be, you know, break up with her boyfriend or something, and now she like you. Oh, you got lucky. No, man, I put in the work. Like, I take care of myself. I educate myself. I can hold an intelligent conversation with that female. I can make her feel comfortable because of the work that I put in. It's not I'm cute. It's not I'm skinny. It's not I'm at the gym 47. None of that's irre- irrelevant. Like, the actual work comes in that 
being a good person, yo, that takes work in this industry, right? Being a good person. So when when he initially said that, I initially accepted it, but then I stopped him in his track and I was like, no, nah, son, I put in work. I go to everybody's streams, I make comments. I go to everybody's stream. Hey man, if you guys are stuck, let me know. I'll help you out. You know, when you was doing your stuff and trying to get your life situation, I said, you know what? Marquise, I don't even know you from Bob, but hey, what? Skype me, and I'll walk you through setting up lights. Remember that Saturday, like, two months ago? Yeah. Y'all see my you lights? I'm getting better. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could have just been some dude sitting around. I know everything, but I'm not going to teach Marquise how to do that until, you know, he went ready to pay me. I could be like that, but no, I actually went in and helped everybody and told everybody the knowledge that I had. I shared, you know, wildly and openly, and then... Ecam was like, damn, this dude is out here first. They send me a little mug, like, hey, here's a coffee cup. Thank you for what you do. And then they're like, hey, can you run these tutorials? Because I like what you're doing. Boom. And then they're like, you know what, man, you're you're doing such a good job. We want you to be part of our internal squad. We want to bounce ideas off of you. We want you to moderate the beta team and you can get software in the beginning because you know enough technically you can talk to our developers. You guys can help people map stuff out. And I was like, man, I ran to y'all. I hit the boys up. I was like, hey, fellas, I can't believe they just asked me. But initially when I got that email, I went to Karen and I was like, I can't believe they just asked me to be a moderator. And she's like, I'm not surprised. You know what you're talking about. But I was impostering when I first went to go celebrate my little victory. Because that's something that we, she and I say to each other all the time. Celebrate the smallest victories. Right. Right. But that's, that's, that's impostering right there. I always yeah. catch my clients and say, it's not little. It's a victory. Yeah. It's a victory. It's a win. See, I, I, I still say the small victories. I need to just say celebrate the victories. Take the small out. Like it's irrelevant. Just like I tell people, you address me as that man. You don't address me as that black man. That's right. not necessary. Right. You always address me as that man. That man, that bald-headed dude with the beard, you can say all of that stuff. Take my race out of it when you speak on me. Right? It's not right. necessary unless you're trying to point me out to the cops. In which case, you're about to get me killed. So I'm like, just you address me as that person. And I you just you just told me something that I still to this very day do. I say celebrate the little victories, but no, they're just victories. They're just victories. You know what I mean? Victory. And, and 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 not like I I question myself, like why? And again, you just gotta remind yourself, no nah, man, like I put in actual work. I spent many, many hours in this basement helping people with their streams, and that's why I got the software that you want. Yeah. That's good. Tip number seven, talk about it with a mentor or a coach. Now, I think this can sometimes on. be underestimated, right? You know, having a coach, having a mentor. And people ask me all the time, well, you know, well, what's the difference between a mentor and a coach? And I'll never forget a mentor and a coach explained it to me. And it was real simple. That when you have a mentor, you are subject to their time, meaning that I have to maneuver for opportunity to get on their calendar. When you have a coach, you have just purchased their time and they are obligated to set time apart for you because you have now invested in yourself. So you have to identify individuals who can help you get to where you're trying to go. One of the reasons why I invested in coaching and one of the reasons why I'm a coach now is because I am buying 
time to expedite my process. There are mistakes that I don't have to make because somebody has already made them. Whereas with my mentor, he, he or she may not have time for me several months from now because they're busy too. Whereas me investing in myself and hiring a coach, I'm going to meet with them as often as we agree that that meeting is going to happen. True story. Okay, this is just going to create some arguments, but who's the best basketball player in the world right now? <laughs> Why do we have to go there tonight? Let's pick one. It Le- be any one of five. LeBron. Okay. He got a coach? Yep, got a coach. Okay. One of the best golfers in the planet right now, Tiger Woods. You guys know who's Hank Haney? He got a coach. Got a coach. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like all of the best cats in the world, they got a coach. Mike Tyson had a coach. You know, Sugar Ray Leonard, he had a coach. You know, like you go down the list, Jordan, coach, all of them. Some of them cats is coaches now. Right. Steve Kerr, I don't know if you remember, Steve Kerr was like, hey, give Jordan the ball. Steve Kerr was Jordan's, you know what I'm saying? They was in the same squad. People forget that. Steve, oh, hey, oh, the, the, it's the Steph Curry, Steph Curry. No, it's Steve Curry. And it's Steve Carr, uh, Steve Kerr, speak English. And it's like, but where did Kerr learn the ball like that? I played with Jordan for eight years, you right, dummy. Right, I'm right. bringing you the knowledge I learned when I was like, damn, that dude is sick with it. And so my job was to get him the ball. My job was to get him the rebound and get him the ball. But in the process of doing that job, I stuck with you know, Mike all the time. And I learned all of these lessons. And now I can sit here on this bench and just floss rings because I played with the greatest. That's good. That's and good. I learned. And everyone, everyone forgets that Steve Kerr used to ball right there in the Bulls. He got mm-hmm. rings. He got rings in yellow and blue and rings in red and black. Steve got more rings than anybody right now, I think. Kendra uh, Smalley says, wow, I just talked about the imposter syndrome. Well, welcome to the conversation. Those of you who are listening live to the podcast, if you have questions or comments, go ahead, type those in there so we can uh, share those towards the end of the interview and engage with you as you have questions. Those of you who are listening to the podcast audibly, we thank you for joining us today. Tip number eight. Say yes to new opportunities. We talked about this earlier, right? The only way that you're going to get over or overcome or heal from this whole idea of imposter syndrome is you got to say yes. Now, you got to say yes to the right things, right? You got to reserve your yes for the right things, which means that you got to be empowered to say no to the things that are not right for you. Because the more you say no, the more space you have to say yes to the right things. It's impossible to say yes to everything, especially when you're feeling stressed or spread thin. But it's all too common for people who have imposter syndrome to turn down career or business making opportunities because they don't feel like they do a good job. (laughs) I did. Way back in the day when Adobe first started, I got offered to come to Adobe and be a corporate trainer. And like, we're talking like Photoshop one, not even Photoshop two or CS and none of that way, way, way back in the day. And I didn't think I was going to be good enough. Hmm. And so I didn't go, I stayed my butt right here. And I won't call it a regret because I've done some really cool things since that time. 
But man, what a great situation it would have been to be in Silicon Valley early days. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's crazy. But that and the other thing that that comes in handy is you got to be enough, believe in yourself and your your worth enough to fire a client who is taking a little bit too much. Mm. And because they're holding you from the next next good one. Like the one that's really about to come in and give you your worth is being staved off because you keep supplicating to a person that doesn't value you. So that was hard for me because I was like, yo, but it's loot. You know, I need the loot. And my dad and other coaches that I had was like, nah, man, you got to look that person square in the face and be like, yo, you know what? Honestly, I can't do this anymore. Um, My time is too valuable and you're not willing to pay me what I'm worth. And so here's one of the best things that I learned out of this recently. And again, you know, if I could roll back time like share, I would do this again. When your friend comes to you, say whatever you do, the price is $1,000. And your friend comes to you and be like, come on, dog, you can hook me up for 500. You'd Mm. be like, nope, I can't do that. As your friend, I should probably charge you 1500. Because number one, you know how we always eat at Ethel's? because she makes like some of the best roast pork out there. So right. we always go to support her. You know how like when the pandemic hit and everybody was closed and like worried about money, the first thing we did was run and go get extra takeout from Ethel's. We was like buying our other friends lunch to make sure that they were okay because we love them so much. So we love them so much and they're our kind of friends, but we support them crazy so that they can stay on point. You know how you spend all of the money on kicks? So you always buy this one brand of Nike so that, you know, because Nike's the best and you want to make sure that they stay top of the food chain or whatever. How come you would do that for them? But I'm your friend. I'm the person that I take a bullet for you and you want me to do work for you at half the price. I cannot give you the value and attention you deserve at that price. So it is better for our friendship if you let somebody else do that low ball job because I want to keep you as a friend. Yeah. That's good. That's good. It took me a long time to figure that out. And now I'm like, as your friend, fool, you're supposed to pay me more, not less. Mm. If I offer you that, that's different. For you to straight ask me that, you're a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said it. Last but not least, tip number nine. Embrace the feeling and use it. It's kind of like a Joyce Meyer quote. Feel the fear, but do it anyway. Feel the you fear, still got me on focus, dude. Anyway. Huh? <laughs> you still got me on focus. Like, I look at that piece yeah. of paper every single day. You still got me on that one. So you be coming with some heat. I got to tell you that. <laughs> Follow Thank one you. course to success, what Sean Doc is talking about. Yeah, but you got to, you know, at the end of the day, the the greatest obstacle that we have is, I Us? like to say, in a me. In of me, the greatest enemy that you ever have to defeat is in me. (laughs) In you is the greatest enemy. That which is external is not as powerful as that which is internal. When when you listen to, I think it might have been Chris Doe. Maybe it was um, Seth. Golden, but one of one of my G's was talking about that it and that ego mm. and how 
even part of your imposter syndrome is that your ego. Everybody think ego is about the putting on the airs, the raise up, but it's mm. also the same ego that tells you you're not worthy. Yeah. Like that's a ego is 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 bidirectional. Ego isn't just what we use the term say vernacularly as, right? That's not what it really is. The real ego is that inner thing in you that puts your position in this hierarchical scale, like get in where you fit in. Mm-hmm. That's your ego that can so a whack ego says I'm not good enough and a too simple ego says that I could jump over a 20 foot bush just because I got these new pro kids on, right? You got to be somewhere in there. You know where you are and you're the best judge of you, you know? So first you got to quiet your inner voice. You got to quiet that limiting you know, beliefs that you have, but then also you got to tune out the people on the outside that also try to control your worth because you are responsible for your own self-worth. Nobody else can do that for you. That's so good. That's so good. So we gave you nine tips, nine tips on how to overcome the imposter syndrome and starve your self-doubt. Let me recap real quick. Number one, know the signs. Number two, know you're not alone. Number three, Distinguish humility from fear. Number four, let go of your inner perfectionist. Number five, be kind to yourself. Number six, track and measure your successes. Number seven, talk about it with a mentor or a coach. Number eight, say yes to new opportunities. And number nine, embrace the feeling and use it. Starve your self-doubt overcome conquer the imposter syndrome man this has been a great episode last minute episode impromptu episode but very valuable i'm sure many people will be blessed and get some great value out of tonight so son doc i'm going to give you some final words opportunity to share what you would like to share with people who might still need just a little bit of more encouragement on overcoming the imposter syndrome. You know, the main thing is like, again, like I said, it's something that definitely affects those of us who are already told we're not equal anyway. So you got to remind yourself that again, I, I pick on LeBron and basketball is not even my favorite sport, which is funny, but it's just a name that everybody knows that dude got up this morning and Let's see, he's just under 40. So, yeah, he got up this morning, and on his way to the bathroom, he was scratching his left and right butt cheek as he's walking because his skin was itchy from sleeping on the one side all day. Uh, he brushed his teeth. He had his, you know, morning beverage, whether that's coffee or knowing him, a power smoothie or whatever. He, you know, set his little calendar for what to do today, and he went and did it. And you do the same thing like pretty much all of us do that from the time we're a little kid or whatever get up in the morning use the restaurant put some sustenance in your body and go do what you got to do for the day so stop looking at these other cats like they have all the answers because most of what's stopping you is your personal economy and that exists between this ear and that ear (laughs) it's everything is basically on you so just yeah just Believe in yourself. I know it's so corny, but you got to just believe in yourself and then go do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I'll leave you with this. It's a quote that I learned from Dr. Cindy Trim. She says that success is the fulfillment of purpose. 
the key to success is self-mastery. I'd say that the way you overcome the imposter syndrome is to master yourself. Master your mindset and be in alignment with your purpose. At the end of the day, that once you're in alignment with your purpose, you have the inspiration to press beyond whatever obstacle may come your way because you understand and know that purpose must be a priority for you to leave a legacy and for you to make an impact in the world. And at the end of the day, that if you don't master yourself and overcome certain things, somebody may not get the blessing, the opportunity, and what they need to move to their next level because you allowed your own mindset to keep you from doing what it was that you were called and purpose to do. And so press beyond your comfort zone. Get outside of your comfort zone and become uncomfortable. Get used to being uncomfortable. And the more you get used to being uncomfortable, the more the imposter syndrome will be starved. So we thank each of you for joining us live right here on Facebook Live tonight. We appreciate all of you who were listening to the podcast via audio. Before we leave, I want to invite each of you. Are you interested in leveraging your personal brand? Are you interested in moving your opportunities to the next level? Are you a corporate professional or professional service provider who has a desire to transition into possible coaching, speaking, and training, but you don't know where to start? I want to invite you to schedule a time with me called the Brand Maximization Discovery Session, where we talk about what are your aspirations as it pertains to leveraging your personal brand. If you're interested in scheduling a session with me that's complimentary, all you have to do is go to www.markeepbrain.com and click on the link to schedule a discovery session. You'll see it right there on the landing page. And I would love to have a conversation with you to talk about how I can help you to maximize and monetize your personal brand so you can create a location-free business around your expertise, your passion, and your skills. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you're not subscribed to the Maximize Your Brand podcast, you can subscribe on your most preferred platform, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Amazon, Google Play, wherever you like to get your podcast, you can download the Maximize Your Brand podcast. Until next time, just remember this, always shoot for the top because it's the bottom that's overcrowded. Take care.